the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All of God's Word is a book of love, and the Song of Solomon is a book that gives us insight into what that love can look like. In fact, the Song of Solomon gives us a picture of what an ideal godly relationship should look like, and it points us to God Himself, the author of love. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Let's talk about love, sex, and marriage straight from the Bible. And why would we do that? Because there's no better place in our world that exposes the brokenness caused by sin than interpersonal relationships, and no better place to discuss that than in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to deal with what I believe is the highest result of broken relationships. No relationship better exposes the extent to which we're broken than the relationship that is supposed to be second only to our relationship with Jesus. And that's the marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And there's clearly a problem in that area of relationship, both inside and outside the church, among professing Christians and those who do not profess to follow Christ. And God's Word gives us eight chapters, eight chapters in the Bible to understand a biblical theology of love and marriage and dating and sexual relationship. It's called the Song of Solomon. As we dive into the Song of Solomon, we find the answer to who wrote that book of love. God did. All of God's Word is a book of love, and the Song of Solomon is a book that gives us insight into what that love can look like. In fact, I love this phrase. The Song of Solomon gives us a picture of what an ideal godly relationship should look like, and it points us to God himself, the author of love. So we've discovered that in this book, we not only see an allegorical picture of God's relationship with man, we see a real-life, literal understanding of what a relationship between a man and a woman should look like. In chapter 1, we talked about attracting the kind of person that you want to marry. We learned a simple principle. Become the person the person you want to be with wants to be with. Become like the person you're trying to attract because you're never responsible for changing another person, but by God's grace and with His help, you are responsible for changing you. I hope you've thought about that these last few weeks, that there are some things in us that need to be changed. I I never have a couple, never have had a couple come into my office and sit down and have one of 
the individual say, I am the problem in this marriage. Help me know how to change me. But that's the way it should be. In chapter 2, we talked about the rules for dating and the importance of dating your mate. And, and we talked about this simple reality. The person you want to be with wants to know you want to be with them. We all want to be wanted. We all want to understand that God is desirous of our attention and we should show him that affection in the same way that we show that affection to the ones we love. But today is the passage of, of Scripture that we've been waiting for, and I can't stop sweating just thinking about it. Because the marriage has come, the marriage has come full circle. In chapter 3 and verse 11, we see the end of this chapter says, Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. The wedding has occurred. It's a feast. It's a celebration. It's exciting. But now that the wedding is over, it's time for the honeymoon to begin. Now, this is kind of funny because on our wedding day, it was July in Houston, Texas. And it was hot, hot, hot. In fact, I think I was sweating much like I am right now. I remember the service. That was a real sweet time. I don't really remember the reception. In fact, I noticed everybody else was eating, and it, it wasn't like it is today, you know, where everything about a wedding is a big production. I mean, we had our reception in the fellowship hall of the church. I mean, somebody made a cake to help make things a little easier for us, if you know what I mean. So I don't really remember the re reception, just shaking a lot of hands. Thank you, thank you, glad you're here. Because my mind was somewhere else. I do remember this moment. Look at this picture. This was my bride coming out of that fellowship hall, coming into the car where I was holding the door and waiting for her. And then I remember this moment. Look at this picture. This is our card, that very fancy Ford Escort covered up in ribbons and balloons and shaving cream as we were leaving that church parking lot with the sign, Just Married. We had a stop to make. The first stop was the local car wash. I had to get the shaving cream off the windshield. But to this day, that's the worst car wash I've ever given because my mind was not on the car wash. My mind was on the destination because we were awaiting with great anticipation the honeymoon. Solomon and his bride are about to leave the celebration. They're entering into the carriage, going to the honeymoon. Now, in biblical times, actually, the honeymoon, this first night, would literally take place in the same compound as the banquet hall. And so the groom and the bride would excuse themselves and they would disappear into another room to consummate the marriage. Can anyone say, awkward? But that's what happened. 
And it's in this context that Solomon and Shulamite are about to enjoy marital bliss. And we're about to talk about it in church. Why? Because church is a great place to hear about something that was created to be God-honoring. Church is a lot better than the playground or the locker room or the gas station wall or pornographic pictures or videos. And yet this is rarely discussed in most churches. And when it is discussed, some stay away because of the pain or the anxiety that it causes. In fact, even in Christian's home, Christian homes, this is not a topic that's discussed freely and clearly. It's interesting. Planned Parenthood says that only 5% of the women that seek their services say they ever had any parental conversation regarding sex. In church, we have apathy about this issue. But in the world, we're facing absurdity. Our society is sex-crazed. Just go through the grocery line at Publix. Some of the magazines will be covered up. If you're wondering why they're covered up, it's because every secular magazine is trying to tell you how to have good sex, how to make your sex life better. Society in our music, in our movies, in our novels, and everything we see is this absurd fascination with sex that's different from Scripture. And that's created addiction. And so we have the reality of pornography, where studies say that even in church settings, as many as 60% of men say they have looked at pornography in the last week. And surprisingly, in the last generation, the statistic has risen to as many as 30% of women say the same thing. That addiction has resulted in our community in a lot of danger in a, a very degraded society. I was recently told that in Tampa Bay alone, there are 11,000 individuals identified as sex workers. You say, what does that mean? Well, they're prostitutes. Are they pretending to be massage therapists, but they're prostitutes? Are they working strip clubs and they're prostitutes? The absurdity has led to addiction, and the addiction often leads to abuse. And so in our society, this sex-craved reality has created a, a setting where abuse is rampant. And it takes place in and out of marriage. And it takes place in and out of the church. Our world was rocked in recent days just by the uncovering of the reality that even in church settings, there is sexual abuse that has been covered up and not dealt with. And so before I move forward, it's important for me that you understand that in our church, we have very clear guidelines. We have very clear policies that our children and preschool parents receive, as well as our student ministry parents uh, have access to that describe what we expect of both our volunteer and our paid leaders of the ministries. 
and describe the consequences of what will take place when those actions are not upheld. There, there's no tolerance for sexual abuse. But this is why we have to talk about these things. And so I would just say to you, regardless of where you are today and what you think you need to hear, I ask you to tune in to this kind of different but necessary subject. You may be here as a single adult and you're thinking, I don't know if I'll ever be married or remarried. Here's the reality, though. The principles that we're talking about are applicable in your life and they're very beneficial for people that will come across your path. Friends, co-workers, relatives that come to you to talk about these parts of their life. You may be here as a senior adult and you're thinking, Sonny, I could teach you a few things. And yes, you could. I'm, I'm confident of it. But the reality is, as our society has changed, as grandparents and even great-grandparents, you may be the one to help your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren walk through these issues in a way that is honoring to God. And for the rest of us, well, it's just obvious we need help from God's Word. So before I pray, let me give you my weekly disclaimer. Not only have I not always honored God in this area of my life, I'm certainly no expert in this area today. Kimberly and I would say to you that we are learning and growing by God's grace one day at a time. But we're loving, learning, and growing together. God's taught us a lot from our failures, and He's given us many successes. But I'm not here today to talk about me. I'm here to show you what God's Word teaches and why it's relevant to our lives. So let's pray together, and then let's get into an exciting chapter in God's Word. Father, in the name of Jesus, I simply want to say thank you. Thank you for the... Um, Thank you for the reverence of this moment. You can feel it in this room, just of the, the desire to hear from you, recognizing that we need to know more than we do about this issue. God, I, I pray that you would use this time for your glory. I pray this nearly every week, but teach us things we do not know. Give us things we do not have. Mold us. Make us, shape us into that person we've not yet become for your glory. God, on the outset, I want to begin with what I'll close with. I know there is pain around this area in this room. So I ask that you would speak to the pain. That your healing salve would cover the wounds and that you would make your presence known. And let the words I say and even my thoughts please you, Lord, for you are my strength and you are my redeemer. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. 
And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. question really is this, how does a Christ follower experience God-honoring sex? And I want to say that right there, we're at a place a lot of us have never been. You've you've never thought about that last word, that three-letter word, the sex word, in the context of a phrase with the other words, God-honoring. So first, we have to understand a simple truth. God-honoring sex always takes place between a man and a woman in the context of their marriage relationship. All other sexual activity is sinful and dishonoring to a holy God. That's our premise as we begin here. Sexual relationships outside of the context of marriage, whether it be between a man and a woman or between two men or two women, is sinful and dishonoring to God. Sexual relationship with anyone other than the person you're married to while married is sinful and dishonoring to God. But God-honoring sexual relationships have many great purposes along with bringing pleasure to the men and the women who experience what God intends. Danny Aiken wrote one of the books I'm going to recommend to you today. It's simply called God on Sex, and it deals with Song of Solomon, and it gives some great practical helps that I think can encourage you as a couple and perhaps even as a premarital couple. If you're in that stage, you might want to pick that up. But he gives a list that he compiled of what happy couples say about sex. So couples that are happy, what do they say about sex? Listen to this list. First, they make sex a priority. It's important to them. Second, they make time for sex. Third, they stay emotionally intimate. Fourth, they know to touch and what they know to touch and what works. I'm just having to tell you, sometimes in my notes I see some typos that are really funny, and that's why I can't stop laughing. I cannot tell you because I would have to resign at the same moment. But let's just say sometimes you see some very funny things. Number four. Number five, they keep romance alive by meeting each other's needs. Number six, they keep sexual anticipation alive. Number seven, they know how to play and foreplay. Number eight, they know how to talk to each other. Number nine, they remain lovers and friends. Number 10, they maintain a sense of humor and know how to laugh. Number 11, they cherish each other as a sacred gift from God. In other words, a happy couple doesn't look at their sexual activity as coincidental or accidental. It is intentional in their relationship together. So I want to give you some principles straight from the Song of Solomon and see if we can learn and grow together. The, the first thing is this. God-honoring sex is strategic. It's strategic. In other words, it's, it's not accidental. It doesn't just happen coincidentally. There are some principles that we've learned. I think it was Gary Smalley who first said, remember this, men are microwaves, women are crockpots. 
You know what that means? When it comes to your sexual activity, men are like ready to go. Just press that instant cook button and they are hot and on fire. Whereas women, you know, sometimes need to simmer throughout the day. And Solomon understood this. He understood that the brain was the most important of all the sexual organs. Before there was any physical interaction, there was a deep emotional connection. He understood that that four-letter word, love, is sometimes spelled T-I-M-E, and it's sometimes spelled T-A-L-K. He knew how to let Shulamite know he loved her. There was a practical application I would give you for this. It would be these two words, be thoughtful. Say, be thoughtful. I want to read to you from the beginning of Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 1. Put on your seatbelt. Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. We'll never know what Shulamite looks like. We don't have a picture of her. But what you're hearing is how she looks through Solomon's eyes. I've talked about this a, a few different times since I've been pastor of this church, and I, I wanted this time to, to really have a little more of a serious tone and let you see the biblical, theological why behind why this is so important. But I recognize even still, I mean, there are some struggling with guilt today because you look at your life and you go, it didn't take me long to realize I, I wasn't living up to the ideal. I missed it in this area. And I want to remind you that in any area of our life, for any of us, we're never dependent upon our righteousness, right? Our only hope is the righteousness of Christ. And, and so if that's you living under the guilt of past sinful decisions, um, number one, if, if you've already confessed that to God, let it go. Don't let Satan remind you of, uh, of, of your past. God has forgiven you. If you've, not forget, if you've not asked his forgiveness, spend some time in this moment just confessing that to God and seeking to be right. Some of you here, though, there are other emotions of like shame and anger because um, you weren't able to experience this ideal because someone took that to you, took that from you. There was abuse. There was something that occurred to you. And I, I would just, I would beg you today to just rest in God's grace. Trust His mercy and His peace and, and His comfort in these moments. Allow Him to take that away. Others of you, you, you look at this with anxiety because you can't even... <laughs> You just can't think about what that's going to be like. Maybe because you are young or, or maybe just you're in that stage where you could be married, but that's not happened yet. And I would encourage you that in any area of anxiety or fear, we're to give that to the Lord and, and let the God of peace give us peace which surpasses all understanding as we trust Him and, and try to, to lead out in His way in this area of our life. But I also want to remind you why the other perspective that we look at Song of Solomon is so important. 
This book reminds all of us that God is desirous of you. And he not only knows you intimately, he wants to be known intimately by you. That's why we sing songs like Jesus, lover of my soul. That's why when I was growing up, we would sing a hymn called Every Day with Jesus is Sweeter Than the Day Before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. That's why we sing that new praise chorus, Oceans, that says, I will call upon your name. Keep my eyes above the waves. My soul will rest in your embrace. I am yours. God wants to be that lover of your soul. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.